0: Welcome to Creekside Church. Go ahead and have a seat. Um, you know, pride comes before the fall, so I have to uh, give congratulations to Iowa after the game yesterday. See, opportunity to, to put Romans 12-15 into practice. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Uh, so, a few uh, quick announcements uh, for today. Uh, the offering will come by in, in a couple of minutes, but before that, There are small group sign-ups out in the foyer. Uh, Take a look at those. Initially, all these groups are going to be starting on the same topic, which is just going to follow along with the Sunday morning message. So uh, take a look at those. The leaders and locations should be on there. Um, Talk to Doug. Doug's in the back. If you have any questions, talk to Doug Elric about that. The table will stay up throughout the potluck. And so speaking of which, immediately after the service, uh, there will be lunch provided. Don't worry about whether you brought anything or not. There's plenty of food for everyone. Pulled pork sandwiches. Uh, it's going to be delicious. And just a great chance to hang out, fellowship together, uh, get to know Steve a little better as we welcome him here. And so uh, we'd love to have you stay if you can. Um, let's just uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Uh, you have given us so much you've given us uh, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord and Lord may you lift our eyes to him may he be our hope and our reason for life Uh, Lord give us generous hearts as we give back to you out of the blessings you've given us and father we just pray for your protection and uh, hand of of uh, help on uh, those in Florida who will be impacted by this uh, this hurricane Uh, father you control the wind and the waves, and we ask for your mercy as uh, as another uh, disaster looms. And so we commit that to you. Um, Lord, we pray that the church in Florida would be a light in the middle of need and that you would use them to uh, further your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name. We pray.
1: wonder if that's really true for us this morning. uh, We worship him alone and we bring all of who we are uh, to bow at his feet and to honor him. I just want to extend a special welcome to you if you're here as a guest at Creekside and this is your first time. Uh, There is in the seat in front of you and the bottom there's a rack there, some stuff Under there, there is a little card if you search around for it. If you would uh, seek it out and fill it out and just leave it on your seat as you leave, I'd sure appreciate that. Because I'm new here, so I don't even know who is new and who's not. So uh, it's just going to help me, and I appreciate it. I invite you to pray with me as we prepare to look into the Word of God this morning. Father in heaven, my heart goes out to those who are in the path of Hurricane Irma, and those who have been ravaged by the devastation. And I know that you are a God. In my head, I know that you are a God. Uh, and your son Jesus said, Be still, and the storm was calmed. And I know that you're able. I'm not sure that you're willing, but I pray that you would uh, stop this storm. And I pray that you would weaken it and dissipate it. And I pray for your protection of those who are in its path. And I ask now, Father, that as we in this body look into your word, that your spirit would be at work in us. Not just to inform us, but at work to transform us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My last official responsibility as the pastor of the church that we came from in Albert City was to officiate a a parent-baby dedication. Now, I'm not sure if you're familiar with all that, but anyhow, we bring the parents and the baby up there and actually we're challenging the parents to commit themselves to raise this child up in the ways of the Lord. And the body of believers in Albert City is looking forward to watching little Tate grow up to become a young man and praying that he'll grow up in the faith. And we kind of expect that of children, right? I mean, they they grow up, and they grow up all too quickly. Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, I'm going to be reminded of that, of how quickly they grow up as Our baby girl turns 18, and it goes by like that. And, you know, so you think about it, it'd be really weird if you were at the grocery store and you saw a 24-year-old having a tantrum because they couldn't get candy, uh, you know, at the store what we expect and what we promote and what we encourage in our children that they would grow up into maturity is oftentimes what we do not expect and what the what our society actually rejects in the church of Jesus Christ that we would grow up in Jesus that we would actually become mature in Christ now I haven't been here long enough, so I can say this. But most churches have, and I'm going to call him Bill. You can, uh, we can make a female uh, counterpart to Bill, and and call her Betsy. Uh, you know, and I, so if I used your name, I'm I'm sorry. But and and Bill, he came to know Christ like 40 years ago. You know, he walked down the aisle. He Raised his hand at a service or something, and he professed faith in Jesus. But Bill, after 40 years, is still the same old grumpy, cantankerous, bitter, complaining guy he was when he, quote unquote, came to Jesus. That's not the Bible. That's not what the Bible talks about. That's not what the Apostle Paul spoke about when he says to the church at Ephesus uh, that we should attain all attain to a mature, mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. God expects us to grow up in Jesus. Church doesn't usually expect... I mean, what would we say about Bill? We say, well, you know, that's just the way Bill is. I don't buy that. If that's just the way Bill is, then I think we need to wonder if Bill really knows Jesus. Culture doesn't encourage it either. I don't know if you're familiar with the, the case of the baker. The baker. Jack Phillips out in Denver, Colorado. He works for his own company, Masterpiece Cake Shop near Denver, and he refused to sell a customized cake to a a, a couple, a same-sex couple, and now the case is going to be heard before the Supreme Court. Because of his religious convictions, he didn't feel that he was compelled to endorse it. You see, leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ begins with us speaking up when we are tempted to shut up, and it continues with us growing up when we are tempted to grow comfortable. Or, in some cases, give up. That's just too hard. And so this morning, I want us to look at a passage in Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul's passion for the spiritual believers' maturity in Christ, for them to grow up in Jesus, is evident in the latter part of it, in verses 24 through 29. I know it says on your uh, outline or it says in the bulletin there, verses 28 through 29, that's where we're going to camp most of the time. But Paul articulates there, uh, at least really reveals for us, um, in the discussion, uh, three essential principles or practices that are necessary for us to grow up in Jesus. Now, I don't profess to say in the next few minutes everything that I think there is needed for us to grow up in Jesus. Okay, So I'm just looking at this passage and drawing a few principles, a few practices from this passage. I'm going to read the passage. If you have your Bibles, I really would like you to join with me. If you don't, I think there's one in the pew, uh, well, the seat underneath, I don't know what you call that, in front of you, okay? Shelf. Okay, there's a shelf. Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 24. Now, I rejoice in my my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, and filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there, but, you know, think about that. Paul was filling up that which is lacking. So, Evidently, there wasn't enough suffering going on, and he needed to fill up what was lacking in the sufferings for Jesus, but that's not what I want to get to this morning. And then verse 25, of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God that the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but has now been manifest to His saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we proclaim Him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this also I labor, striving according to his spirit or his power, which works mightily within me, Paul says. Three practices, I think, can be seen from this text. The first two, I think, are very directly related to it. The other one is a little bit more of a, a tangent. Uh, it's, it's kind of launched from the text. and. So I hope you'll allow me the grace to do that. But first of all, there is our steady diet of God's Word. Okay. Now, I'm going to say this. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you have walked in your faith at all for any period of time, what I'm about to say is not new. So don't expect some great new insight in the sense that there is uh, something here that I didn't already know. The point that I'm bringing is, what I want to challenge you with, I don't care how much you know. And it doesn't matter how much I know. What really matters is what we do. Our steady diet of God's Word. Notice Paul's commitment here in verse 28. Uh, or verse 25 is to present every man complete in Christ. That's, that's the end of verse, uh, verse 29. I complete Every man complete. Now what does it mean to be complete? It means grown up. Grown up in Jesus. I want you to be fully grown up in Jesus. And he says we proclaim Him... And what does it mean to proclaim Him? Look at verse 25. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. So the Word of God is necessary for us to become complete in Him. A child grows physically following their birth. A child of God doesn't grow until they become a child of God. But once you become, after our spiritual birth, then we're supposed to grow up in Jesus. That's, I think, what we can draw from this. And so it begins with the mystery, and that's the mystery. We talked about a little bit in the first service, the remembrance service. The mystery is that God would take the Jews and the Gentiles and provide both of them a way for them to be reconciled to God. If you have your Bibles open to Colossians 1, you can turn over or back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, where, uh, or you can read it on, I think, do I have it on the screen? Do I have a slide of that? Maybe not, okay. Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you Before Him, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. We talked about this a little bit last week, but we are hostile and alienated and separated from God because of our evil deeds. We're born sinners, we're sinners by nature and by choice. And because of that, we're separated from God. So we're hostile towards God. And in Christ, in His death, what God did is sacrifice His Son to pay the price that you and I deserve to pay so that we can be brought into a right relationship with Him, no longer at uh, an enmity or hostility, that God is no longer angry at us, but that that anger has been appeased, has been satisfied when He poured out His wrath on His Son, so that Christ's death in our place, that's the substitution, He took our sin on Himself so that He died, and we got His righteousness on us so that we can live. That's what Paul talks about. And that's the mystery of the gospel that he brought to them. And this comes about, we come righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. That this is the righteousness which comes from God and is by faith my trust or my belief in what Christ did on the cross. And that's the message Paul brought. Now that's just the, the message. And where did he get that message? And Paul's talking to the church in Colossae. And where did he get that? He got it from the Old Testament. This is the truth of the Scriptures from the Old Testament. But it's not just the Word of Christ as far as our salvation. And faith comes by hearing. And the hearing is by the Word of Christ. And so it's not just the Gospel. It is the Gospel that he was preaching He proclaimed them Christ, but the entire Word of God that they needed in order for them to grow up in Jesus. 1 Timothy 4, verse 6. Paul says in pointing out these things to the brethren, he's, uh, Paul's talking to Timothy, his son, in the faith, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith. You see that? Nourished on the words of the faith. In order to grow up, my kids needed to eat. In order for us as children of God to grow up, we need to eat. We need to have ingest and have a diet of God's word to be nourished on the words. Now you're thinking, well, okay, this Bible, Wow. You know, it's like it's going to get old eating the same food. I have a friend of mine that uh, was a missionary in South Africa for two years, and for two years, every single day for two years, I think at least two meals a day he ate potatoes. Potatoes, potatoes, potatoes. He doesn't eat potatoes now. He won't eat potatoes. You can serve him potatoes. He grew up as a kid with every Sunday afternoon fried chicken and mashed potatoes and gravy, right? He doesn't touch him. He's sick of potatoes. How do we keep from getting sick of God's Word? Well, a couple of ideas that I'm going to throw out for you. First of all, uh, the, the, the presentation of the Word of God. Paul was committed to presenting the truth of the Word of God. How many of you ever actually took a jar of baby food, like let's just say squash or peas, and opened the jar and actually looked at that stuff? It's disgusting. You know, when we put it on this phone, oh, yummy, 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 yo, oh, yo, yummy, yummy, you'll like this. I wouldn't eat that stuff, it's gross. God's word is not gross. Paul says that he would serve them. He gave them the word. He says, I'm admonishing. Colossians chapter 1, beginning verse 28. And we proclaim him. We declare Christ. We admonish every man. We are challenging every single person. And we are teaching. We are instructing every man. Paul gave them the word of God, plain and simple and true. Paul communicated it with intentionality. He, he communicated it indiscriminately. He didn't care who heard the Word of God. He proclaimed it to every person. He proclaimed it with intelligence, with all wisdom, he says, and with intensity. It is the Word of God. He did not proclaim the Word of God with cutesiness and with cleverness. You can write down 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5, and, and when we came to you, brethren, uh, our, our, our speaking and our proclaiming was not with uh, the wisdom of men, declaring to you the testimony of God, no, we, we determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, and we're with you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and our speaking, our proclaiming was not with the wisdom of men, but in the Power of God that your faith should not rest in our wisdom. Now, this is kind of the Smith paraphrase, okay? It's not the exact quotation of Colossians or 1 Corinthians 2. But he wasn't cute. He wasn't clever. What did he do? He proclaimed Jesus. So, the presentation, it is the gospel. From Genesis to Revelation, this book is about Jesus. And so we proclaim him unashamedly unapologetically, but we hope to do it clearly and not with cleverness. Then there's it should be precious. The precious Word of God. Psalm 19, verse 10, uh, says this, and you can look at the screen. It says, They are more precious than gold, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. Anybody here ever had a piece of honeycomb? Raise your hand. That's good stuff. I mean, if you haven't, I wouldn't recommend walking out to the beehive and taking some, but uh, it's pretty good, you know. kind of gives you a new idea when you, when you read in the, in the Old Testament that they were walking along and they, they saw honey in the tree. You know, the bees had made a hive there, and they just reached in there, scooped it up, and were eating it. It's good stuff. Well, the conclusion in Psalm 1910 is based on the numerous positive and ongoing effects of God's Word that are articulated in verses 7-9 through 9 in Psalm 19. The Word of the Lord is useful for restoring the soul, restoring the struggling person. It makes wise the simple. It enlightens the eyes. It rejoices the heart. endures forever. Those are the results of the Word of God in the person of God. I don't know about you, when I struggle, I, I need to be restored. In my sorrow, I, I long for joy. In my ignorance, I really need wisdom. And the Scripture says that God's Word gives us all that stuff. It provides for us. It's precious. That's why it's more precious than gold. Like much fine gold, sweeter than honey and honey from the cone. By it is your servant informed and keeping it, there is great reward. It's the Word of God. And so we need to accept it for what it is. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul commended the church at Thessalonica because they received the Word of God for what it was, not as the Word of men, but as the Word of God. I wonder, you know, as we come on Sunday morning and we hear the gospel preached, as we uh, spend time in the Word reading it as we go to small group. Do we see it for what it really is? So our dad wrote us a letter, and he wants us to read it. It's his Word to us. It's precious. And So I, I think about, you know, if we're going to grow, we need to eat. How many meals did you skip last week? You know, I'm guessing not too many of us skip too many meals. How consistently are we spending time with God and His Word? Because we're not going to grow without it. And you know, I'm preaching to the choir, I know that. You, you know, yeah, we know that. The question is, are we doing it? Are we actually spending time in the Word of God listening to the Word of God in our own personal time, or ser- you know, listen to the sermons, do we listen online, do we listen to Christian music that articulates the Word of God, are we involved, in? you can be involved in a small, small group, you can sign up and you can get the Word of God. Secondly, uh, we need to have diet, but there needs to be some exercise as well. In Colossians 1, 28 and 29, uh, Paul talks about what he did with what he had learned I think it was Howard Hendricks, who used to be the professor, uh, seminary professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, who said that uh, pregnancy uh, without delivery, uh, you know, uh, is is. Uh, he says information without application is like pregnancy without delivery. There's no point to it. Information without application is like pregnancy without delivery. No point. And my fear in the Church of Jesus Christ is that we get so intellectually academic and informed that we forget to do what God calls us to do. And we need to st- our our spiritual growth requires diet and exercise. You see, when the word of God does its work in us, then God does his work through us. It's just the way it works. So there's no bill. I mean, it's just if the word of God is doing its work in us, then God does his work in and through us. Paul's faith in Christ and his firsthand knowledge of the Word of God. You can read it in Acts chapter 9. Woo, boy. He's on the way to Damascus and a little revelation there. And he got knocked down and went in, and Ananias came to him and revealed to him God's plan. And God told him his plan was to carry the message to the Gentiles. Well, see. The Word of God got a hold of Paul. And when God got a hold of Paul, the Word of God got a hold of Paul, what did Paul do? He says, now I'm here at Colossae. I'm proclaiming God. I was made, it says in verse 25 of Colossians 1, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. If you're here and a child of God you have been given a stewardship. Now, it may not be exactly like Paul's, but it is a stewardship ministry that you have been given to do something with what God has done. And then he says, for this purpose I also labor striving. So it takes effort. It takes work. It's not just, we are not on a cruise ship in the church of Jesus Christ. We are on a battleship. It's all hands on deck, folks. It's all hands on deck. James 1.22, many of you know it. You know, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers. Now get the end of it. Who delude themselves. That's the part that scares me. Because I've heard the word since I was 12, 13 years old. Actually, I heard it before that, but I didn't really hear it because my eyes were blinded and my heart was cold. But when I came to it, when God got a hold of my life and, uh, and I became a believer, then the Word of God meant something to me, but I've been hearing it. And the question is, if we hear and we do not do, allow me to use improper English, then we are not are. You know. To hear but Not do what God's word instructs is to delude ourselves and pretend. We're pretenders to follow Jesus. We're not saved by our good works. You know the little catchphrase, Rick Warren made it very popular. We're saved for good works. But that's the Bible. Read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's our calling, is good works. So we've got to exercise. Now, James chapter 2, verses 14 and, and, and 17, I'm not going to read them there, but basically he says, if you don't have any works, you don't have any faith. This was the right, right straw epistle that Luther struggled over. He didn't know if it actually was to be in the Bible because it almost seemed contradictory to Paul's teachings in Romans that we're saved by grace through, through faith and then James comes along and says, if you don't have any faith, you don't have any works, your faith is the fruit, or your your faith produces fruit, which is our works. Okay, I I didn't watch any of the game yesterday, but I I listened to some of it on the radio. So if you have that uh, slide of the, the, is it not on there? I don't have the picture. Oh, it's up here. Okay. Yeah, okay. So just because you wore cyclone colors or Hawkeye colors doesn't make you a fan, right? I mean, because some of your kids, you, you you dress them up. They don't know why they're wearing this shirt or wearing that shirt. They're just wearing this shirt because mom dad told me to wear this shirt. They're not really fans. But if you are a fan, you're going to wear the shirt. If you're a believer, if I'm a believer, we are going to live our faith. We're going to live it out. It, it comes out of us. Physical growth requires exercise. We must use our faith muscles to stretch our faith. Our, our youngest daughter tore her ACL when she was an eighth grader or ninth grader, and uh, she had to go through rehab. Doctor told her six months before she could play ball again about broke her heart. She was bound and determined she was going to Shorten that time frame. Of course, the doctor just gave her the big, biggest, worst case scenario to keep her from being... She worked hard in rehab to strengthen her muscles so she could be back and playing in four months. We need to strengthen our, our, our faith muscles. Every act of obedience is kind of a step of faith. It's faith with feet on it. Okay, That's what I go. faith is active faith. It, it, it has feet. It does stuff. So when you and I take time to pray, we are actually trusting God that He will take care of what we are taking time out to pray for. He'll take care of the other stuff that's so busy we have to get done. No, as Luther says, I'm too busy not to pray. Too busy not to pray. Because who's going to do the work anyway? Me? Oh, yeah. yeah. We say no. I mean, you're in church. No, no, it's not me. It's not me. But when you leave this place, it's going to be you. Maybe more often than not. It's going to be me. So I come to Creekside Church, and I was like, what am I going to do? I'm supposed to pastor this church. I don't know these people. So I've got to get busy. I've got to get working. I've got to go real hard. Yeah, Paul was laboring and striving. He's not against hard work. Who does the work? If we don't take time to pray, then we deny that God is the one who's in control and in charge. So prayer is a step of faith. Giving is a step of faith. Oh, I'm going to give this, this money that God provided. Do I really believe that God provided it or do I believe that I did it? You know? And then if I did it, then I didn't should I give any of it to God because you know, after all, it's my money. But if I give it to God and I trust God, then guess what? When I give, God gives back. God takes care of me. It's an act of faith. Speaking up makes us vulnerable. It's a step of faith. Forgiving other people. Serving. You know, some of you know, it's like, we, got, we need workers at the guest central. We need workers in our youth ministry. There's all kinds of places that we can, you know, God can use people to work. But it's kind of like, well, I don't know. I don't know what to do with junior high kids. I mean, they're going through hormone changes and all that stuff. And I don't, uh, I don't, I don't know what to do with that, you know. Guess what? A lot of you were there one time. Does God love them? Yeah, He does. I feel weird. Well, join the club. Now I've got to tell you about Dave. Dave is a 65-year-old guy. He went up to a group of, uh, of young people in a foreign country. Young girls. He's a 65-year-old guy. And he didn't know their language. And he said, can I sit here and talk to you?
0: They loved it.
1: They loved it. He didn't know how to speak their language and he's a 65-year-old guy and there's these young, hormone-laden teenage girls. That's weird. But he did it for Jesus because he wanted to share the gospel with them. That's what God asks us to do. You ever watch a baby learn to walk? It's a great thing. I mean they, they kind of crawl up the side of the thing and then they, they look and they they walk and then they boom they're on the ground, you know. And then they, they look up and then they try to do it again and you know pretty soon guess what? They're chasing, you're chasing them around the house. That's how they grow up and they get strong. Folks, all I'm asking us to do is to step out like babies in faith and stumble and fall and do what God... We are so stinking comfortable in the church in America. We need to get off our duff and get out of our comfort zone and let God prove Himself to be God. That's where we're headed. To lead people to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ, we have to be on the path. And if we're not in the Word, and if we're not letting the Word be in us to change us, to fuel our faith, every action out of our comfort zone, guess what? When we get out of our comfort zone, God shows up, and it it fuels us to get out again on that edge of the limb. Marla and I had the blessed privilege of sitting down with two college-age young gals just about, I don't know, a month ago. They'd been on a short-term ministry and that short-term ministry had been cut short because they were in a country where a terrorist threat, a legitimate terrorist threat was imminent and they had to evacuate. They had invested their whole summer preparing. They had gone, spent money. The church had supported them. They arrived. They got, fell in love with the people they were going to serve with, but they never got to see the people they were going to serve. And they came back. And folks, their step of faith to go out, two young women in a a predominantly male-dominated culture, they were out on the ragged edge of the limb, they were hanging from the frayed end of the rope over the edge of the cliff for Jesus. And their parents, it didn't just happen overnight, because their parents had kind of been nudging them, you know, pushing them out over the edge a little bit. And they'd seen Jesus come through in times before, and now they were willing to trust Him for a little bit bigger risk, and they did, and guess what? They are deeper in Jesus because of it. He who has my commandments and keeps Him, He it is that loves me. And He that loves me will be loved of my Father, and I will love Him and reveal myself to Him. That's getting to know Jesus. Get out there on the edge of the cliff. So we have to do it. Where from here requires that we're going to have to get out of our zone. You've got to, to speak up for Jesus. Speak up to defend the unborn in your health class. Refuse to compromise at your employment position, even if it costs you your job, because you're not going to cheat for the company. It's going to cause us to step across the street and invest in our lives of our neighbors, and friends, and kids. You know, I. I asked Mike and Amy if I could use their name. and I'm going to use their name this morning because Mike and Amy's little baby steps of obedience in reaching out to their neighbor kids has caused them to see Jesus meet their needs in ways that they never knew, and now it's causing them to be stretched further than they ever thought they'd have to go. Mike did a wedding last Saturday night here in the church, one of those kids. It may not be too long until he does a funeral, the baby of one of those kids as siblings. Uh, how many of you really want to be tapped to do a funeral for an infant? I mean, I've been pastoring for thirty-some years, and I've had uh, a few occasions, like two that I remember, where I, I did that. That's stepping out of the zone, folks. That's God shows up, or we're toast. And that's exciting. Awkward, uncomfortable, risky. Yeah, but it's that's what God signs us up for. And uh, then we walk ahead in Jesus. Where's God asking you to speak up for Jesus? Is in your school? At your workplace? Family? That's the scariest part family. Where is God asking us to step up and serve? I mean, we need people. Uh, we Need people. It'd be nice to have people that welcome people coming into Creekside. People who serve at the Guest Central. People to be greeters. It'd be great to have people helping out with the, the hormone-laden teenagers, you know. I mean, it'd be good. It'd be good to have people helping out in lots of different places. I'm just using those as illustrations. But where would God want you and me to step out in, in, in faith? Where do he want us to step out across the street? Are you and I willing to meet our neighbors and then get into the mess that Mike and Amy are in someday? I don't know. That's that's putting it out there, Pastor. Paul says, For this purpose I labor, striving according to His power which works mightily within me. It's not our power. It's God's power. For God's glory. For God's kingdom. We need to eat right. We need to exercise. Yes, we need to do those things. And then uh, finally, we need to uh, have community and relationship. Um, Paul says in Colossians 1.28, and we, speaking of Timothy, his son in the faith. And so it's interesting to me that Paul is speaking to a community of believers as someone who is in community with believers. He's in community with his son in the faith and he's speaking to those who are in community. And it strikes me that We need to be in community. That's why small groups is like, well, that's kind of a fad thing, you know. They do that in 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 really up and coming churches. No, that's not a new thing. Read Acts, the book of Acts. They met together from house to house and in the temple courts. You know, well, in the house to house, what's that about? They had a house, and they met. So that's what God's calling us to do is to get in community. And when I tell you get in community, I mean, you study the Bible together, you pray together, you share together, you get, do life together, and you understand people's struggles, and it's messy, and it's hard, and it's not easy, and it gets awkward. But isn't God big enough for all that? And I'm not talking, and we do community. We do community, you know, after this, we're going to do community. But you know, when we do community, do we just get up and talk to people and say, well, how are you doing? How's work? Yeah, good. Well, it was a rough game yesterday if you're cycling fan. a great game if you're a Hawkeye fan. Well, it's, it's a, you know. Or do we say, you know, how can I pray for you? I mean, has God taught you anything uh, in the Word lately? What, what's going on in your life that you could share with me? How can I pray for you in a really specific way? Because every one of us comes in here with this facade that everything's wonderful and great, and that's not true for any of us. We all have fears. We all have sorrows. We all have aches. We all have pains. We all have difficulties. We all have struggles. That's what the body of Christ, he he says, I want you to grow up in Jesus. In in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, uh, Paul says, Speaking the truth in love one to another. That's what we're supposed to do so that we can all grow up in Jesus. Now, again, that's my paraphrase. If you want to turn back to Ephesians chapter 4, you can look at it there. He says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head. Who we speak the truth to? Each other in the body of Christ. And then he says, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies. So that means I need you. And you need me. Every joint supplies. According to the proper working of each individual part, Paul recognizes the individual differences, but not isolation. He recognizes the uniqueness, but not separate of people in the body of Christ. So like Eugene Peterson, he says, every tendency to privacy and individualism distorts and falsifies the gospel. Privacy and individualism. Hebrews chapter 10 is is kind of like the, the passage, you know, that talks about not keeping it to yourself. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but Gather and stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Right? So, how are we stimulating each other to love and good deeds? How are we encouraging each other? How are we ministering to each other? Do not forsake the assembling. So, yeah, come to worship services. Come to youth group, small group, whatever it happens to be. Don't abandon each other. We stick together as the body of Christ. And, you know, one of the neatest ways that we as a a church body uh, celebrate our community, our commonness in Jesus, is through the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup. It's it's what reminds us of our union together. That's who we are. That's our identity as believers is in the cross of Christ and the bread symbolizes His body broken for us and the cup, His blood shed for us. And as we share in these elements, we are bound together in the bond of love through what Christ has done on the cross for us. He did it so that all who by faith put their trust in him can have the promise of eternal life. And it declares and demonstrates that we are a body. You know, you can come up here and take the elements and go through the motions, but that doesn't make you a Christian. But if you're a Christian, coming up here and taking the elements... Reminds you of who you are in Jesus. What he's done for you. And now the commonality that we have in Christ. It's the Lord's table. If you're here this morning and you're trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're welcome to partake. But I'd invite you, while the, uh, our praise team is playing and singing, that you just examine your heart. Get your heart right with God. to Get it right with him. Paul says in First Corinthians 11, be careful, don't eat and drink this bread in an unworthy manner. Just get your heart right. And then when you come up, you take the bread and cup and take it, and then you go back. Every believer is welcome, but nobody's compelled. Okay. And the practice here is that uh, after a time when you feel led, you'll come up and you'll file up here, you'll do it. There's a table at the back, two tables in the front. If you're not a believer here this morning, um, I just think it's kind of cool that you can sit back and look and say, well, what is it that, you know, he's been talking about the, Spending time in the word and exercising your faith and spending time in community. Why would they do that? Because of who we are in Christ. Because of what Christ has done for us. It's his love for us that compels us to do what he's called us to do. And so that's the, that's the word that we have. And so I'm going I'm to sit down and I'm going to ask the praise team to come up and they're going to play one of the elders who break the bread and you just examine your hearts and as you feel led then you start making your way up here and celebrate communion. I'll close this in a few minutes.
0: Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his costly obedience on our behalf. Father, may you reveal our own hearts to ourselves. May we not be deceived. May we see where We need you. We need your grace and your mercy. And may you empower us to be obedient to you. To the calling that you have left us with. To take up our cross daily. And to follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
1: stay standing. I want you to look at this picture uh, on on the slide. I could lead you there. I could lead you up the mist trail to Nevada Falls in Yosemite National Park. Because I've been there. To lead people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ means that we have to be at least on the way ourselves. And three things I've mentioned this morning are just helpful. A steady diet of God's Word, exercising our faith, living in relationship with other believers, a committed relationship, are just tools. And then Jesus in his great commandment said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then, you know, just teach them God's word. That's all they need. No, he says, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I've commanded you. We need him every hour to teach us, to observe all that he has commanded us. And isn't it great? It's not just like, okay, go out there and suck it up and work hard now for Jesus. He goes with us and graciously walks alongside us to enable us to do his work. Let's pray. Father, by your grace, we need your help. We want to spend time in your word, and yet the enemy drags us away. We want to step out in faith, but Lord, it's hard sometimes. We want to live and be open and honest in relationship, but oh, that's tough. Give us your grace and your strength. Oh, we need you every hour. We need you, Lord. Let us go from this place in Your power and Your grace. We pray it in Jesus' name.